there was an unknown author who once wrote this. There's a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular, though the world is his parish. And he travels to every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor, calls upon the rich, preaches to people of every religion and no religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could, and bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name is death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. Interesting. You know, humans have always been obsessed with death. Remember just a couple years ago, when it seemed like whenever you turned on the nightly news broadcast, what you were going to get in huge banners across your screen was the increasing number of people that was dying from COVID in the United States every day and in the world. Remember how that was on our screen all the time, every day, growing and growing? We keep track of all the mass shootings in our country. Did you know there have been 228 so far in 2023? Two of those in Indianapolis. I don't think I've passed a funeral home or a cemetery any day this year where there has not been a funeral or graveside in progress. I've done six funerals in the last six months personally. Death is all around us. And as much as we don't like to think about death, it is a big part of our culture. You know, we cheered when uh, Dorothy threw the bucket of water on the Wicked Witch and melted her in 1939. And people are still cheering in 2023 when John Wick kills 140 bad guys in his latest movie, almost one per minute. Video games and action movies are full of virtual death and murder. And yet at the same time, most of us are desperately trying to avoid death. We take all kinds of pills, wear all kinds of clothing, dye and style and even replace our hair, and we use a myriad of skincare products, all to try to slow it down or even reverse it, which, of course, we can't. Along with the presence of death all around us, there's also a great interest in what comes afterward. Consider a popular new TV series on Paramount Plus called School Spirits. Here's the, here's the ad for it. High school can feel like an eternity. For some students at Split River High, it literally is. 
Maddie, a 16-year-old girl, is newly deceased and finds herself trapped in afterlife limbo at her high school where she discovers she's stuck with those who've also died in the school over the past 100 years. For some reason, she's the only one who can still communicate with the living and uses her newfound abilities to help investigate her own murder. People are obsessed with imagining what life after death might be like. There's a massive religious belief in the Far East in reincarnation. That if you've lived a not-so-good life this time around, you may end up a dung beetle in the next life. And hopefully, if you've lived a good life, you get better in some way. I don't know what you turn into. Paul knew firsthand one person who was on the other side of death, didn't he? He states it in verse 20, do you remember? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And Paul has dedicated this longest chapter in his letter to the Corinthians to try to explain resurrection and what it means for a follower of the risen Jesus. Now, in our text today, as we approach the end of this chapter, Paul anticipates some questions, he gives some illustrations, and he provides some explanations. So that's how I'm going to structure our time together this morning. Some questions, some illustrations, and some explanations. Look at the questions in verse 35. There are two of them. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? Question number one. With what kind of body do they come? Question number two. The questions are basic and yet profound. How are the dead raised and what will the resurrection body be like? Haven't you thought about those questions? I have. I have in recent days. The people I've stood around with next to coffins and gravesides, they've thought about that question. The people who are approaching those 70 or 80 years or have passed those 70 or 80 years that the psalmist mentions as human life expectancy, they've thought about that question. Look how Paul answers those questions here in our text. Secondly, he gives us some illustrations, verses 36 to 41. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This may seem like a harsh response, right? Ask the question and then, foolish person? Um, But Paul, what Paul is saying is, and what he's going to say by these illustrations is, look around, guys, open your eyes. The answer is all around you. It's obvious. And he's going to use three illustrations to make his point. The first has to do with a seed. And and the Corinthians were very familiar with the process of planting and harvesting. In fact, their very lives depended on it, right? People sowed seed. 
They buried that seed into the soil in the process of planting. And when that seed is buried, its, presence, its present existence as a seed is over. It's destroyed. It dies. Jesus speaks of that sown seed as dying. And, and he, he says it here in our text. He also says a very similar thing over in John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 24. Listen to what he says there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. New life. The, the plant which comes forth out of the seed cannot come about unless and until the seed dies. The fancy term we use in botany is it germinates. Well, a seed is pretty, you know, unspectacular. In fact, look at, look at what he says here in, in verse 37. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. I remember years ago when we first came to Indianapolis, I had this great idea. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to build a garden out in front of the parsonage. And so uh, I got uh, Brother Doug Wilson to come and help me and Kyle, I think, was there too. And they came out with their tractors and they tilled up the grass for me, made this nice, beautiful, huge plot you know, of dirt, and it's all ready. And I went out to the store and got all these little seeds and seedlings. And I made one mistake um, among many, but I made one mistake. Uh, that I, got, I wanted to get some tomato plants to plant, and so I got, uh, I, I got 12. I wanted 12 tomato plants. And then when I got home, I, I realized that there were actually four in each one of those little boxes. So I had 48 tomato plants, which I planted all of them. We had a lot of tomatoes that summer. But, you know, when we, we, a lot of those things we put in as seeds. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, if you think about it, to take a seed, which appears by all practical purposes to be completely dead, dried out, it's not doing anything. It's just a seed. Stick it in some dirt and wait. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, from a logical, rational perspective, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I could take my, I could take my, uh, my ballpoint pen and stick it in the dirt and wait. And I don't think much is going to happen, right? Except that my pen's going to get dirty. But you put a seed in the soil and you wait. And something miraculous happens. Miraculous. Paul says, open your eyes. It's all around you. A seed is not very spectacular, but when it is sown, when it is buried, it becomes a living plant which flowers and produces fruit. In verse 38, Paul adds another consideration. God gives it a body. As he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. Paul is saying God is in charge of this stuff. He is sovereign. He gives everything, even seeds and plants, their form, their shape, their appearance, their purpose, and therefore their meaning. 
when you die, when you're buried and put into the dirt, logically speaking, nothing should happen, right? You go into the dirt, and and we know what happens from observation. We know that the body decomposes, right? It rots. But Jesus says, just like the seed is put into the ground and dies and then sprouts, bringing forth new life, so will you. And God is in charge of that process. And God has has designed exactly what you will be when you are resurrected. It will be no one else. It will be you. You are the one. The seed that is put in the ground is the same plant. You don't plant apple seeds and out come oranges. When you are sown in death as a human being, when you are resurrected, it will be you. Only you. You will be different in some ways. But it will be you. The body that God has made for only you. You know, no two snowflakes are the same. We know that, don't we? Not even identical twins have the same fingerprints. God is sovereign. And His designs in resurrection are limitless, just as they are in this life. Now, Paul's laying the groundwork here for a point he's going to make later on. Let's go on to verse 39. There's a second illustration. From seeds and plants now to the flesh of humans and animals. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animal, another for birds, and another for fish. This is pretty obvious again, right? It's like, open your eyes, foolish people, look around. You're on a date with your sweetheart. You reach over to put your arm around her neck. You give her a little rub on the back of her neck. You don't expect to find scales there. You don't expect to be pulling feathers out of her hair. In verse 40, Paul makes the point, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. Paul, Paul's arguing here that, that earthly beings have earthly bodies. They're appropriate to our earthly existence. They're made for this life, this environment, the here and now. Heavenly beings have heavenly bodies that are appropriate for our heavenly existence. And the glory of each of these bodies is different because earthly and heavenly bodies are different. And then Paul gives us a third illustration, verse 41. He turns to astronomy. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. I don't know, I, I don't know if you like astronomy. I love astronomy. I never got into it, like really into it, but I love looking up at the night sky. I love looking through telescopes. I love seeing the, 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 the different things that are out there as far as you can possibly see. Um, and, and again, Paul is saying, open your eyes and look around, people. The evidence of what God can do after death with your resurrection bodies is all around you. The sun, the moon, the stars, 
each show a, a unique kind of splendor. They're, they're, they're specifically connected to their form and their function. You can see this just by looking up at the sky. We see beautiful sunrises and sunsets. We see the moon in all of its colors and crescents and even eclipses, right? We see the the faraway stars and planets, some brighter than others, some redder or bluer than others, some with, with rings around them, some in clusters, and many of them in constellations that we have found. Very diverse, very beautiful, all works of our Creator. And so it will be with our resurrection bodies. Paul's point in giving us these illustrations of plants, animals, earthly, heavenly bodies, the moon, the sun, the stars, is that God creates all things and then gives each of them a uniqueness and so a particular splendor, a particular glory that's appropriate to their divinely given purpose. Just as God created your earthly body, he's going to create your heavenly body. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be glorious. And it's going to suit you for the environment of the eternity, of the eternal. So he gives us some illustrations. He says, those questions are silly. Just look around. And you see evidences of resurrection life. You see diversity. You see design. You see glory. All different kinds of glory. You see God sovereign in it all. And now he explains some of this a little bit more for us. This is the third point. Verses 42 through 49. How does all this answer the questions raised in verse 35? Paul sums it up. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, seed, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So it's against the backdrop of the fact that different kinds of bodies with different degrees of splendor that we should understand what Paul's saying here. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. And he gives us here four characteristics of the human body that's sown, or we might say, the earthly body that will die. The first is that it's perishable. In other words, each of us has a limited shelf life. How many of you are like me? You are um, horrible about... Uh, always going through the refrigerator and pantry and looking for expiration dates and throwing stuff away. How many of you are like me in that regard? Not many. That's probably good. Okay. So most of you just eat expired food? Okay. I guess. I I know. It really bothers me. Okay. But, um, you know, uh, Paul is saying here that it's like God has marked all of us, our earthly bodies, with an expiration date. We've all got one. Um, Now, the date isn't known to us, but the date is known to the one who created us and who marked us with such an expiration date. 
Um, the psalmist says, do you remember in Psalm 139, he tells us that all of our days of our life were written in his book before one of them came to be, right? Brothers and sisters, you and I are perishable. We have a limited shelf life. Second characteristic is that our bodies, these earthly bodies, will be sown in dishonor. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. The word used here for dishonor is an interesting word. As the Greek word atimia, it's a word that often refers to the loss of the rights of citizenship. So, so like a person could lose their rights as a Roman citizen. Paul is saying a corpse has lost its rights. Now, we understand that legally, right? There are certain things that cemeteries do to, to care for the dead, but generally speaking, once you and I become a corpse, we have nothing more to say for ourselves, right? It's not like we're going to be raising our hand at the funeral and saying, excuse me, I think I'd like to be buried under that tree over there, please. No. The choices are made. You're done, right? There's nothing honorable. There's no rights associated with a decaying body. And in a world in the first century which didn't have refrigeration or mortuary sciences yet, a dead body immediately would start decomposing, smelling, harboring disease is not something to be honored. This is also why Paul says, thirdly, in the same verse here, that our bodies have been sown in weakness. A weakness which is on full display, isn't it? Through our limitations, the fact that we get sick, and the fact that we decay when we die. I can remember the first time I'm sitting at the barbershop and I feel the razor move from my hair to the inside of my ear. I remember being taken a little back when that happened. What is he doing? Before I realized he was trimming hair that was growing out of my ears. Then it moved to my eyebrows. And he started trimming those as well. Now, this did not happen to me when I was in my 20s or even my 30s. But it did happen to me. Growing older and seeing the effects of aging is not fun. And often, it makes us feel and appear weaker. Guess what, friends? That's the reality of our earthly bodies. Some people in this room can't hear like they used to. Some people in this room can't see like they used to. Some people can't run like they used to. It's part of our earthly body. It's a characteristic that all of us experience. The fourth characteristic of our current bodies is in verse 44. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. What does he mean by that? Simply this. The body 
that's sown into the ground when we die is the body that was designed for life down here. God put us together in such, in such a way so that we can live, we can breathe, we can have our being here in this life. This is the only realm in which this thing works, is here. We can't even go into outer space without making some huge adjustments. We've got to suit up differently if we're going up into the outer hemisphere, right? So you can't just put your jeans and t-shirt on and say, all right, let's go up, you know. Let's go, let's go up to the moon. Let's, let's jump around. No. You have to prepare yourself for a different kind of environment. And Paul is saying in the same way, if you think <clears throat> that this natural body, with all of its fragility, all of its weakness, all of its powerlessness, all of its decay, all of its despair, if you think this body is somehow just going to go to heaven, you're not understanding the process. It's designed for this life, this environment, this reality. He further explains, uh, talking, appealing to Genesis chapter 2 uh, about the creation of man. Look at verses 45 to 49. Thus it is written, there's a clue there, right? The first Adam, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So that's kind of a loose quote from Genesis 2 and verse 7 about man becoming a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Think about these verses. When God created Adam, he was earthy. Adam was also the prototype for all that would be born after him. Adam comes from the dust. And God told him, as a result of sin, back into the dust he would turn. That's what we face too. As men and women who descend from Adam, we enter the natural life first. The order is important to Paul. We go into the natural life first. But there's another Adam. Paul is, of course, referring to Jesus, the last Adam, the last man, who was not an earthly man. Now, he, he came in human form, right? But he didn't start that way. He was a heavenly man, right? And the body which he has is a spiritual body, and it's the prototype of what we will get someday in heaven. So Jesus, of course, was uh, God. He came down and took on our flesh. He became earthy like us, but not with sin. That was the difference. Earthly like us, but not sinful. So Jesus dies not because he has sinned, but he dies for our sins, takes our sin on his body on the cross at Calvary, pays the punishment for our sin, death, separation from God, 
is sown, put into the ground, buried. Three days later, the first one to resurrect. Paul calls him the first fruits. He's the first one who gets the new body. And so Jesus comes back and appears to his disciples, right? And he has a new body. The body that becomes the prototype for all those after him who will be in him, who will believe in him, who will follow him, and one day go to heaven to that environment where we need his glorified body, right? He summarizes this whole section in verse 49 that just as we bore the image of Adam, we believers will also bear the image of Jesus. Now, what does that image look like? I'm so glad you asked. Because now we can go back and we can look at the other side of those four characteristics. Not just of our earthly body, but now look at them in regards to our resurrection body, our spiritual body. When we bear the image of the man from heaven, instead of being perishable, our bodies will be imperishable. Amen? We will be like honey. Honey is like the only thing that never expires, right? You can, they found it in Egypt, like 6,000-year-old honey, and it's still okay, right? We will be like honey. We will have no expiration date anymore. We will live forever. We were sown in weakness. We will be raised in glory. We were sown in weakness. We will be raised in power. We were sown with a natural body. Now we will have a spiritual body. And this, brothers and sisters, is the message of the resurrection. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has become the first fruits of all who are placed into him. He's the new prototype of what we are about to become. In other words, you and I are in for a big change. We, all, we were still, we're still going to be recognizable. Jesus was recognizable in his glorified body. They knew who he was. We're still going to be recognizable. And there will still be some continuity with, with the way that we live now. For example, Jesus in his glorified body did what? He ate. He drank with the disciples. We'll still have that ability. But there will be major differences as well. Can you imagine a world in which flowers never die? I can't wait to see that world. I love these beautiful spring flowers, and they're gone just like that. But to see them, to see tulips all year round, wonderful. A world in which strong animals don't prey on the weak animals. A world in which earthquakes and storms and tornadoes no longer wreak havoc. A world in which cancer strikes the fear in no one's hearts. A world in which children never die. And old people never leave us. Who can imagine a body 
without weakness, without infections, without tiredness, without sickness, without death. The fact is, nobody can. Because nobody's experienced it since the Garden of Eden. Even the twelve didn't understand it at first. Remember where they were on Easter Sunday? In the temple, ready to await the risen Jesus, right? Excited to spread the gospel? Where were they on Easter Sunday? The big, bold disciples who were going to turn the world upside down? They're locked in a room for fear of the Jews. They're hiding. And as they sit in that room, discussing the events of the day, suddenly, Jesus is there. He speaks to them, and suddenly he's not there. It's a body. It's a human body. They could touch him. They could watch him eat and drink. But it was a very different body a body like we will have one day. And it was in the next 50 days before Jesus went back to heaven that would transform those 12 and the many others who were following Jesus, transform them into the courageous band of brothers and sisters who would give their lives in taking the gospel everywhere, regardless of the cost. And of course, not only was it the Lord Jesus who instilled courage in them, but he sent a helper on the day of Pentecost. By the way, that's next Sunday. He sent a helper on the day of Pentecost to fill them with power. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute and prepare to close the service. Think some some more with me about this, this coming reality that we have to look forward to. Do you understand that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, one day you will receive a resurrection body? No doubt about it. Just as the seed is sown in the ground and sprouts new life, so will you. It will happen. It doesn't matter if you are buried and decomposed It doesn't matter if you're cremated and turned to ashes. It doesn't matter if you're buried at sea and eaten by the fishes. It doesn't matter if you disintegrate in a moment, in a plane crash. It doesn't matter if you're frozen to death on the top of Mount Everest. One day, when the trump of God blows, you will be made new. When Paul writes to the Philippians, He puts this in very clear terms. He tells them the issue is not whether you're a Roman citizen or not. The real issue is whether you're a heavenly citizen. This is what he says in in Philippians 3.20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself.
Years ago, Benjamin Franklin obviously got a hold of this truth. If you've ever been to Philadelphia and to the cemetery of Christ Church there, you may have seen the epitaph that Benjamin Franklin wrote himself to be placed on his own tombstone. In his own handwriting, it reads, The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. So let's review. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body? Three illustrations. Look at the seed, how it's buried, and what happens. Look at the flesh and the incredible diversity that God has made in all kinds of different bodies and the glory of each. Look up to the skies. Notice the sun, the moon, and the stars, all with their own splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of you and I. We go in, into the ground, perishable. We come out, imperishable. We go in, weak. We come out, powerful. We go in, in dishonor. We come out, in glory. We go in, natural. We come out, spiritual. Got it? One day, according to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the trump of God, with the voice of the archangel, and we will rise. And in a moment, we will be transformed and live with Christ in glory forever. And that day could be today. Are you ready? If you're not, come and talk to one of us pastors after the service. We want to make sure that you're ready when Jesus returns. We want to make sure you're ready when you're sown into the ground, that you will live forever in heaven with our Savior Jesus. So come and talk to us. So talk to a Christian near you about how you can become a follower of Jesus. And do it today. If you want to be baptized to show the example, the public testimony that you have become a follower of Jesus, that you are going to be buried, and yet you are going to rise just like Jesus did. We'd love to do that for you in the next few weeks as well. Come and talk to one of us. We'd love to help you with that. All right, let's stand together. Let's sing a final song, thinking about that moment when all things will be made new, when we will rise.